Hey, wrestling fans, a quick note before we get to this episode. I'm pleased to announce that our latest audio documentary, The Henry Cejudo Experiment, will be going live on Monday, April 24th. You can listen to all six episodes right here on Wrestling Changed My Life. Now on with the episode. Attitude and, and wanting to be the best guy, not, not just here, not just in this practice, but you want to be the best guy. We're going to go into uh, an, another room or we're going to go uh, into a, a dual meet. You want to be the best guy on the map, pound for pound. The one everyone's saying, hey, watch out for that guy. Watch out for that guy. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time I spent wrestling, if it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner. Our guest today is Troy Letters, NCAA champion for Lehigh, three-time All-American, and a former coach at Penn State. Troy was at Penn State before and after the great Kale Sanderson got there, so I can't wait for you to hear about his take on what Kale's doing to make that engine go, because it's amazing to see. Fan of the week goes to our friend Riker Norman, a 10-year-old from Granger, Iowa, representing Ubasa Wrestling Academy. Thanks so much for listening, Riker. We greatly appreciate it. And without further ado, folks, let's give it up for the great Troy Letters. Troy Letters, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Man, I'm so excited for this. You're... You're a name that I've heard for years, and and people will always say, you know, you got to get so and so on. You are right up there, my brother. So I am, uh, I am thrilled to have you on today. And I was just looking through your career, man. You've hit on so many different pockets of of wrestling over the years. I did not realize that you used to coach at Penn State with Kale and those guys. Yeah, I was actually on board uh, when Troy Sutherland was there. It was my first season there. Uh, it was him, uh, Hughes, Dernlin on Spock and then Hughes went to Lehigh Kale they let Troy Sutherland go and it was kind of a rumor of who was you know we heard Rob Cole we heard Kerry McCoy we heard Pat Santoro Kale's name didn't come up till the very end and I'm sitting in my living room with my wife who's pregnant and my phone's ringing and she's like Troy I'm like who is it she said Kale Sanderson I pick up the phone and let's go uh, yeah let's go what what do you uh so you're there a year were you expecting coach Sutherland to move on? No, I had no idea. It happened. I was there just for one season. And then right after the season, it was announced. So. And so what did Kale say when he called you? 
he said, tell me about Penn State's team. And uh, he was up on a visit and toured the facility and that him and uh, some of the boys were coming up. So we started talking about the team and, and just the environment overall at Penn State. And had you been out to Iowa State as a recruit? Yeah, so actually, Kit was my host. So I uh, I went to Iowa State, and we it was a great class out there. Um, and Kale was my host. I stayed with Kale, and uh, that's when I first got to know him. And then later on, uh, out in Colorado Springs, the year he won in 04, we got to wrestle a little bit and hang out a little bit. So, Dang. So when you went out there on that recruiting trip, had he won anything yet? Yeah, he had just won his second title. Second title, okay, okay, yeah. So what what was he like back then? Oh, he was like he is now, very quiet, very. Uh, he knew what he wanted, and you know there wasn't much going to stop him from getting it. Um, we played a, a lot of video games at the time. I forget what video game it was. Um, Golden uh, Golden Eye. Oh him and yeah. I, I, so I was really good at Goldeneye, and so was he. So him and I spent a few hours seeing. Uh, I think I beat him a couple of times. He beat me a couple of times. So Kale played Goldeneye. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <clears throat> Coach Douglas, I've heard that he is just an intimidating cat, and I've had him on the podcast. But as a as a coach back in the heyday, yeah, you know, he was he was all business. What was your experience like with him? He he was awesome. Uh, my parents loved him. I loved him. He uh, he actually visited twice. He came up on a home visit, and then I went down to Iowa State on, on my visit. And then uh, it was a few days before the early signing, and I'm sitting in math class, and I get called over the, the loudspeaker to come down to the athletic department, and sitting in there was Coach Douglas. And <laughs> he said, I just I wanted to come up, and I know this is a tough time. Um, I want you to know that you're the guy we want and show me around your high school and that's stuff i got to spend a half a day coach coach douglas around my high school it's pretty cool how how split were you on going to iowa state over lehigh it it, it was tough it was between those two oklahoma so my visits were um iowa state my official ones were iowa state uh west virginia because i was close with greg jones and we were close in weight and training partners so uh wvu uh lehigh um, Penn State, and I think that was it. I went to Pitt on an unofficial since I lived so close. So, mm-hmm. but it, it it came down to it. I mean, your phone at that time, the house phone was blowing up, and you know, I I knew what my parents wanted me to do. I just I said I'm going to sleep on it, wake up in the morning, we'll have an answer, and and I did. And what, they wanted you to stay close. Yeah, close with the education and, and being close. For, so my parents didn't miss a match. We wrestled once in Hawaii, and I can maybe talk about that later. But my yeah. parents and one, <laughs> one other parent, uh, the Dillons, Brad Dillon's parents were the two parents that flew out for that match. But um, they were excited. Um, I was excited. I, you can't say Lehigh was doing what Penn State's doing right now. Not many teams. Well, no one can, actually. But... At the time, Lee had had signed John Trench, Mike Pirazzola. They had a really great class. Uh, so when I signed, Derek Zink had already committed. Travis Frick had already committed. So I was going into a room that had, you know, three, four, five All-Americans returning. 
Yeah, your that Lehigh room must have been filthy back in the day. I mean, the number of names on that roster was crazy. Yeah, we I think at one point in that room there were eight All Americans in the lineup with Mario Stewart and Cooperman, um, Dylan Frick, myself, obviously Zinc Trench. There's seven right there. I mean, it was a very competitive. Oh, and then Rob, Robbie Roan, a national champ at 184. And didn't your 125-pounder All-American after being unseated? Or am I thinking of someone else? No, that would have been Stu. Well, I don't know. Maybe Stu was unseated. And he upset a few guys with the mixer. Okay. And uh, ended up having Abbas, I think, in the semis, which is a tough draw. Steven tough Abbas. draw. Tough draw. Tough draw. Um, it's funny. Our uh, our Abbas, we just did an interview with Stephen Abbas, and it's going live today. So uh, that's ironic. Oh, but nice. he's uh, that's that's about as tough as draws you can get back in that day. <laughs> yeah. Except for maybe uh, maybe Kale, obviously. But it's funny because I've literally I don't think I've ever had someone from the East Coast on this podcast that when I say what schools were you considering, everyone says Lehigh. Like it's just like everyone on the East Coast looks at Lehigh. It's it's a great school. It, it, there's a lot of support. The alumni support is is the second to none, in my opinion. So uh, being successful there as an athlete, uh, being success there, uh, successful there as a student athlete, um, as soon as you're before you're graduating, you're already figuring out where you want to go work, who you're going to work for. It, it's the alumni support is unbelievable. Now, it's not officially an Ivy League school, but I kind of put it in that box because and maybe it is but if it's not i kind of put it in that box because back then i read an interview that strobel had done that you guys like for example you couldn't practice during finals you didn't do like national letter of intent like so it's a big academic focus it sounds like yeah it, it, so we wrestle all the ivy league schools at one time they did petition to get into the ivy league and ivy league very tight-knit uh organization didn't let the, the bucknells the lehigh's the ones that were close right there mm-hmm. Um, so we wrestled all in the same conference, the IWA, but it's a, it's a private school, small private school. I think there's around 5,000, maybe 6,000 undergraduate students. And, um, it's very well known for its academics. Yeah, no, definitely. It's, it's interesting. You almost went to, uh, West Virginia because of Greg Jones and man, Greg Jones, absolute killer. I mean, unbelievable. Yeah. So, uh, man, so you, in. Folks who are younger, you know, maybe don't know this, but you were one of the top high school recruits in the country when you were coming out. Number one at your weight class. So, you know, definitely a, a, a big name recruit across the board. And so when you announced you were going to Lehigh, did you have like other coaches still calling to get at you? Or back then, once you announced it was kind of done? Once once I announced it was kind of done, there were some very tough ones because I was close with Robbie Waller. He was at Oklahoma and I was so I went out to visit him a few times because I trained it all American my whole life. So what's that? I'm not familiar with that. Rob Waller's all American wrestling club. Coach okay. Waller's been, I think he's just announced his 50th year coaching. So wow. he's, I think 72 right now, maybe 73, but he's still at all the tournaments and has a really great club, but that's where I trained with Robbie. So Robbie had went to Oklahoma. He was two years ahead of me. Um, and the year I had takes, I took second at the nationals, my freshman year, Robbie won it at 174. I was at 165. I took second, but, um, Oklahoma was close because I was close with Robbie. So that was a hard one because I became close with coach Spates and I got to meet with Michael Leitner and that whole team, um, Byron Tucker. So that was a tough phone call, uh, 
he called afterwards to basically say good luck to you, but it was a tough one. They were all tough. I mean, when you get to know those coaches and, and yeah, it's tough. So you were just as close to going to OU as maybe you were Iowa State. It sounds like it was. It was very confusing. Wow. It, it was. Like I'm like I'm 33 now, and I I dread making a tough sales phone phone call. I'm in sales. When you're 17, having to take a call when you know you're going to deliver bad news, there's truly nothing worse. No, it, it was very difficult for me to do, and 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 that's one of the worst things I'm at is is telling them no. I'm usually a yes guy, but um, <laughs> that that was bad. But once once I got past that that point, it was all Lehigh. I was talking to Tommy Roan and Zink and Frick on a daily basis about getting out there and training. And Chris Vitale, who was a returning senior at 165, had just taken, I think, fifth, was coming in ranked third. So I was I couldn't wait to get up in the room and, and start wrestling. And what was Coach Strobel like? Rest in peace, of course. What was he like back in back in those days? Uh coach was great. Coach uh coach was a father figure to all of us. He taught me how to fly fish. Um Recruiting wise, a lot of people don't know this, but Scott Hovan from Parkland, I think he's a principal there now, but he was a two time All American for Pitt, I believe, two time state champ. He was the the recruiter for Lehigh back then. He he rounded all of us up. So when I say all of us, it Trench, uh, Pirazola, Zinc, myself, uh, Tommy Roan, that whole group with Coach Strobel and Coach Hovan and Santoro, of course. Hovan was the sales guy. He was yeah. the guy that he had Zinc on the phone saying, hey, I have Zinc on the other line. He just committed. Frick's on the phone waiting to hear from you. And he was that. He was <laughs> He was a very good recruiter. Coach, yeah, the- Coach Strobel was uh, more of, like I said, a father figure to all of us. And how did you work out the situation where you didn't wrestle your first year? Well, so when I got up there, um, they, it was a really strong lineup. And one at first, I kind of I wrestled one sixty my senior year, and I thought maybe I could make fifty seven. And I thought, and I talked with the coaches a little bit about it because you had Pirazola at forty nine, fifty seven was kind of an open weight, um, some tough guys in there, but sixty five number three ranked by tally. So I, at first, the first month or so I tried to see if I could make the cut to 57 and I didn't weight train much in high school but you know it was just pull-ups and running and and that kind of stuff once I hit the weights and got in the weight room I realized 65 or 57 was was not going to happen and it was a no-brainer for me to redshirt that year because you were a I mean when I I see the videos I watched the the Tyrone Lewis match you were a big 165 pounder yeah, I, I would make my descent start in August. I was at like 190, 192, and I'd start in early August to make my descent down to 65. And I would keep it, I'd like to keep it around 172. If if I was at 175, I felt heavy. So, And what yeah, would you be, what was your diet consisting of to stay like that? Oh, uh, just good protein. Um, after matches, you know, a lot, obviously a lot of water, Pedialyte, um, just uh just healthy eating and 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 getting on the mat working out we were mat rats up there so as much as we can get on the mat we were on the mat because when i think about lehigh during that era i think mtv Corey cooperman i think i think craziness and i couldn't find it for the life of me but one of the lehigh articles 
had mentioned that you and Cooperman were mentioned in a Sports Illustrated deal on like cutting weight, and I could not find the Sports Illustrated article, so I was dying to ask you about it. What What do you remember about like if that article happened and like MTV being around for all the the weight cutting back then? That That was a crazy year because we had Sports Illustrated doing an article on uh, myself, and okay. we had MTV doing an art uh, that whole series on Cooperman at the same time they were filming that documentary that was supposed to be about this little engine that could Lehigh coming in ranked second could possibly win a national title behind Oklahoma State and it ended up actually um, they turned it into more about John Trench's eye story than the story about Lehigh but you had all these cameras in the room and I think Coach Strobel right away realized it was a, a, a big distraction. But uh, yeah, true story. It was, uh, I had the, the, the magazine, some, my wife just waved. She could probably get it for me. <laughs> uh, yeah, they had it uh, just just about us cutting weight. And the same thing with uh, the Cooperman and MTV thing. It was all about cutting weight. So, but the, the big thing was the distraction in the room. It was too many cameras. Plus, you had the local t- the cameras in there and news guys in there. And and coach kind of put a, a nix to it, you know, uh, right away and, and got us away from it as quickly. How, how did he shut down the MTV thing? Because that seems pretty formidable. Well, out of the room. So they weren't okay. in the room much. So they would, okay. they were more in our apartment or they would come to the dining hall and, and ask us questions there. So a lot of the footage from the MTV clip, you'll see one, we were sitting on the couch and it was, we were at my apartment and I was sitting next to Zink's now wife, Lindsay Mantella, Rocky Mantella's sister. And my wife and her friends were back at home and saw the video and said, you know, Hey, I was just dating her at the time. Troy's sitting next to this blonde girl and I get the phone call from my wife. Like, who are you sitting next to? (laughs) I'm like, that that was Lindsay. Oh Um, my God. And so it's literally like, like cameras are just following you around at your apartment. I mean, in a college apartment, it's small. It's like you're in there with, with these like camera people. It's so crazy to think about. Yeah. It was them. And and then, like I said, that documentary falls for that whole, that whole year. They traveled with us. Who shot that? Who has all that footage? It it was a, a, two guys from Australia. I don't know who has the footage. I know some of the alumni uh, backed it and paid for it, but a guy to probably reach out about that would be John Trench because we, that year, you know, I ended up getting upset by Mark Perry and, and taking third and Trench, I believe was upset by Damien Hahn maybe. Uh, yeah. So it was, it, the things just didn't come out like it, we were hoping it would. So they kind of changed the storyline to talk about, you know, the retina and yeah. the goggles and, and that whole deal. So did they ever make a feature film out of it? Yeah, they did. There's a, a small documentary about it. So Wow, um, I need to get my hands on that and watch it. Yeah, I'll see if I can find it and I'll shoot it over to you. And if nothing else, like all, you know, like for a film like that, you can't imagine how much they didn't use. So all of the yeah. stuff they didn't use, like you could make, like just knowing that's out there is exciting. Like there's, I'm yeah. sure there's some stuff on that that you could you could do with that, you know. Yeah, um, absolutely. Wow, that's that's a lot because, I mean, you nailed it, man. And I didn't know this. Lehigh was number two in the country your junior year coming into the season. Yeah. Uh, you guys were, and you had gotten a third. Or the team had gotten a third. Team had gotten a fourth. So, like now we think about Cornell. No big deal if they're in the top four. But during your era, it was you guys right up there all the time in that top four team race. Yeah, so that that's why I was saying earlier about us 
uh, we're not doing what Penn State did, but Penn State at the, at the time wasn't keeping all the Penn, Pennsylvania wrestlers in-house, and Lehigh was starting to do that, which mm-hmm. uh, we were competing, you know, with the Big Ten schools. Um, I mean, I remember we went on a road trip at Iowa, Iowa State. We split matches. We beat Iowa State, lost to Iowa. But, uh, you know, we beat Michigan. We were We had a really, really formidable team. And you had Okie State on the schedule when they were going through their heyday. Yeah, they had that that run where they went five in a row. Had, the one year had five champs uh, out of 10 weight classes. So we had uh, one match at Grace, or not at Grace, but up at the, the big arena. And I forget the attendance. It was packed, sold out. And the matches were uh, myself and Johnny Hendricks, uh, Trench versus uh, Ross Holt. Uh, I don't know if Dylan wrestled Pendleton that match or not, but every match was Frischkorn versus Cooperman. Every match was a really tough match. And you battled Yoki State, it seems like, a lot of your career. You know, you had uh, Tyrone Lewis, and what a legend uh, he is. And so your senior year, you wrestled Hendricks in that duel. Is it true that after you beat him, he said that he's going to take <laughs> you out? Is that true? There's So Hendricks talks a lot in, in during matches not a lot but in situations where like he'll run you out of bounds he'll whisper something just to get your head and then you come back to the center and you're you're pissed and then it happens again so during a break a few times he had met like just whispered stuff just you know nothing crazy but after the match we were kind of in each other's face and I kept saying that's number two that's number two uh because I beat him earlier in the year at the national duels or the Virginia Beach duels one of the two and I said, that's number two. And he said to me, I'll see you in the finals. And sure enough, he made it and I didn't. <laughs> He's, that, is, that guy is such an enigma. I mean, I've never been able to so much as brush contact with getting him on the podcast. And a lot of the guys he, w- he went to school with, you, you, know, they don't, you don't hear much about him. But man, dude was a killer. And I One mean, of the strongest wrestlers I've ever wrestled. In, really? In, so Derek Zink is one of them. Hendricks is, I mean, to score on to, a takedown on him, I had to give everything for a minute to get to his legs and, and get the two points. It was very difficult to score on that guy. And to have that kind of confidence where you just got beat twice and you still think you're going to win is very rare. Yeah, yeah. He was smiling afterwards. And pointing <laughs> <out>. <laughs> you're like, you're almost crazy, dude. Like, get a grip, you know? Yeah. Wow. And, um, and, you know, again, Oklahoma State, I think, I think Tyrone Lewis – so you beat him in the finals your sophomore year. Was it your sophomore year? Yeah. Or yeah, sophomore I, year. Did you wrestle him in, in the duel in the freshman year too, right? I I beat him in the semifinals my freshman year. That's right. Okay. That, but, it was a crazy back and forth match. And at the very end, he tried to inside trip me. And I just it, he was in bad position. I was up eight to seven. And I think there was like maybe 25 seconds on the clock. And he went for an inside trip out of an over and under. And I stepped over top and he just fell to his back. And and I won that one. And I remember Tyrone, when he was a freshman at 174, I was watching him wrestle with a couple of my high school teammates saying, that's our favorite wrestler. That guy's so explosive. And then two years later, I'm wrestling him in the semifinals of the Nationals. But, at 165. Uh, at 165, he had cut down. What? So, yeah. God. So, I'll and never then he for- beat me in a duel. That's what I was thinking. So the duel, because you had like a 34 match streak going on, or like a, maybe it was a duel streak. Bottom line, like you wrestle him, it must have been 
maybe at Stillwater. Maybe it was at Lehigh if it was your sophomore year. I, I lost two dual meets in college, both in Stillwater. Both in Stillwater. Yeah. Both to – who was the other one to? Lewis first and Hendricks. Oh, you lost to Hendricks. Wow, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah. That, man, those were tough weights. It's funny because as a middle schooler, I was like in – Maybe my freshman year in high school, or maybe eighth grade, when Oklahoma State really started to win, and I was obsessed with John Smith. But I'll never, ever, ever forget this glimpse of Tyrone Lewis running off the mat crying. Like I'll never forget it. It was like so ingrained in me. And sure enough, this morning I'm watching your match. That was the match where that happened because yeah. he was a was he a four time finalist or four time semifinalist? Okay, think. okay. And then one time the the one time he made it to the no. Yeah, one time in the finals. So he lost to – and there were some tough guys. I don't know if it was Lackey one year, Heskett the other year, but there were some tough weight classes. Twice, but, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Um, And that crab ride you threw on him, it was out of hand early, and it really – it, it kind of stayed 5-1. And every, you know, every time I Google your name, I see scrambling, I see crab ride. I'm dying to ask you about this, like – how were you thinking about and breaking down the crab ride back then? Did you have a system for it, or were you mainly feeling it? So, no. I, I was always comfortable on top. Uh, junior high, high school, top game was kind of my game. But I was more of like a cross-face cradle, bundle, uh, tilt-type wrestler. But I was comfortable throwing legs in, very comfortable. When I got to Lehigh, Santoro had just hung up his shoes. So he was still in, in competition shape. In my size. So we started playing uh, and, and wrestling around. And the more I, I tried to hold him down, the more I realized I'm not going to be able to cross face cradle Pat Santoro. Uh, I started throwing legs in. Then he'd sit me to the butt to try to do a leg slip on me. And that's where that series kind of developed from. And then I got to the point where I was confident enough. I was doing it in the room all the time. And then in a match, I started doing it in a match. And I realized right away, wrestlers were really uncomfortable there. So mm -hmm. I thought if I could put a wrestler in a position where he's uncomfortable, he's going to make mistakes. I can account on those mistakes and score. So that's where I would try to put everyone in that position. And is this like parallel universe? Jesse Jansen's doing something similar or he already come through? Like, where was that evolution at? It's funny you say that because Jesse Jansen and I wrestled twice in the same uh, tournament. It was, it was like um, not a Mason Dixon tournament. He was, a senior, I was a junior, and I didn't know who he was at the time. I remember my coaches coming up to me before the first match. He said, hey, this guy's a five-time New York State champ. And I was like, all right. Um, I was coming off a PA State title, and they said he's really good on top. So I was up, I think, 6-4. He picks top in the third period, turns me twice. So Whoa, that's I, I, confidence. Yeah, and, and just a freak on top. With, but he was different. I stayed... I stayed on the shoulder where he went all the way to the claw on the crab ride, but still got the points. Got but we it. wrestled in a match, you know, maybe four hours later, Team PA versus Team New York. Same scenario. I'm winning. He picks top, and I reversed them and pinned them. So we went Whoa. one and one. That is epic, man. And when you got into college, would you still start by putting the leg in and having the guy defend like that, or would you just get to the position? I would try to get to it. So I would try to run, run the guys where they would feel like if they rolled all the way through, they were in a better position and that's where I would catch them. So okay. I would try to yeah. run them to, to one side where they think if I just kind of hip change over, I'm going to get back to my base and get to my stand. As soon as they go for the hip change, 
that's when you kind of, it's a, well, obviously there's technique to it, but that's where you would catch them and get a, a quick two count or, or even hold them there and get your fall. Isn't it crazy how wrestling goes through evolutions of technique? And yeah. like, like right now, you know, with Spencer getting done, you know, tilts are crazy, but the crab ride in that, it's kind of like a half, I mean, kind of not really, but that was a, that was a very popular situation during that early, early to mid 2000s. It feels like. Yeah. Yeah. There was a lot of guys that were comfortable in there. And, and I think Jaggers was one of them from Ohio yeah. state was comfortable in that position. Jansen, NCAA champ Harvard. Um, so yeah, it was. And, and I'm, I'm waiting for it to come back. So. Me too. Like you don't see it. I was just going to say, like, I am thinking about it. I'm like, I don't think I've seen that recently. And you know, everything is in ways though. So, so you never know. Um, it, it, it probably will come back, but uh, as yeah. the sport evolves, it, as it evolves every year, it gets more exciting, but I think we're going to see it because it is exciting to see that kind of stuff because a, a lot of the fans that are maybe, you know, fans that at the nationals are saying who, who's scoring points here. Who did. So it's exciting for everyone to watch and it's yeah. a dangerous position. So, you know, they're calling, they're, they're calling back points pretty quick these days. Yeah. If I wish, man, I could get a four count. I mean, to get four points. I yeah. Could a lot more yeah. points. On the wow. So that all came, but that all came from wrestling Santoro. And so were a lot of guys at Lehigh doing that deferred year of eligibility? Like, were you even a student at that year or are you just kind of living out of your apartment doing your thing? No, no, you could, you could redshirt at Lehigh. It's not like oh, you could. Down. Okay. Yes. Got it. Okay. So, so I came in uh, and we had a really, really good class. So zinc at 57, me at 65 and then Cooperman. So I was on a visit with Cooperman in Iowa state. I think it was him, Marcus Lavasser, um wow maybe, maybe Ross Holt was in that mix but it was a really good class where Bobby Douglas if he could have snagged all of us at one time would have went on a really a good run but um Cooperman ended up at Minnesota and then after first semester the coaches Santoro and, and Strobel coach Strobel brought me in and said hey uh we have a transfer coming in he knows you and he doesn't know he didn't know many of the guys on the other team I said who is it and he, I, once he said his name, obviously it was a huge addition to our, our lineup because Coop was a beast, uh, three-time All-American and at a weight class where we, you know, we needed him. So as he came on board and we made him part of the team right away. Yeah. I don't know why when I went to the Lehigh website, instead of just saying redshirt, it said deferred eligibility. So in my head, I'm like, maybe they don't allow that, but yeah, obviously they do. So that's, that's kind of where I was getting at with that, but got it. So you just, you know, straight up redshirted. And it's crazy you say Marcus Levesser because that's a name that, unless you're really in the trenches, maybe a lot of fans don't know that name, but you know, he took out Ben Askren and him and Cooperman went to Minnesota and they both left after the first semester. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. So so back then the on the free the Fargo circuit or at uh the Vegas, uh over in Vegas, the weight classes were like 132, 143, 154, 165. So you had a bunch of guys jumbled up in, in one weight. So at one weight, it was like Marcos Lavasser, Ryan Bertin, uh, Johnny Hendricks. And then oh. the next weight, it would be, you know, a couple of those guys, myself, Ben Askren, um, and Nate Baker at the time was a four time Minnesota State champ. Or, yeah. And he went to Minnesota, transferred out. And I think he won four titles, Division two. But um, was Mark yeah. Perry around or is he too small? He was younger. Mm. He was younger and probably smaller at the time. So no, not at that, that time. I saw Mark Perry when he was at Blair 
Lehigh and Blair are very close to each other. So we'd go there and train a lot. So I trained with Esposito, but then I didn't train with Mark Perry at all. But I watched him come up as a red shirt at Iowa. No one out of the gates because I watched his style a little bit. And at the time, you know, Torella, my style matched up really well against Torella's. And um, and I had wrestled him a few times already. But uh, I, I watched Perry's style just a little bit, knew it was going to be a fight because he was he wrestled a lot like I did. You know, mm-hmm. he was flexible. He was good in positions where I was good. Um, so, you know. Yeah. So when you're talking Vegas, are you talking Western Regionals? Yeah, it, at the time it was the Western Regional. So the U.S. Open was going on. Yeah. And then the high school team uh, or but the it, high school. Guys. Isn't it crazy that that was, that was so loaded, but it wasn't like it was like junior nationals. It was just the Western Regionals. But everyone went because the U.S. Open was going on at the same time. And you had all those college coaches there. So if you wanted to get a good look and, and you're yeah. wrestling – you're wrestling on a mat. And I remember watching Kerry McCoy wrestle Stephen Neal. And, and then you see all those college coaches there. It was just at that time it was really great. So I went there, I think three times, I think I took third and I think I won it twice. So wow. I, I never beat, I beat Baker there. And then in the finals at Fargo, Baker beat me. So that's a name. I don't know, man. That's, I always love hearing a new name because that's someone to get on. So uh, Nolan yeah. Baker, you said Nate, Nate, Nate Baker, Nate Baker. Okay. Yeah, I think he was ranked first in uh, the class of 2000, went to Minnesota, and I think transferred after either one year or one semester. And I, and it's funny because my redshirt year at Lehigh, I enter the Midlands. I'm undefeated, enter the Midlands. I have first-round match. Maybe it was a pigtail, Nate Baker. And I'm like, I can't get this guy away from me. And he actually beat me. And – I walked off the mat and Santoro said to me, if you're going to wrestle like a high school kid, that's the results you're going to get. I ended up coming back and taking third. He didn't place, but I'll never forget coach Santoro telling me that. And I wow. did. I wrestled like a high school kid. Wow. Keeping it real with you like that. Yeah. Wow. And think about if in Minnesota still won after losing all those guys, how deep must they have been back then? Yeah. I mean, those are were. three of the top recruits in that era. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Nate Baker was one. Cooperman was one. Well, Vassar um, was Vassar was a beast. Yeah. Oh freak. my God, he's been on the show. He's he's unbelievable. I mean, and one of the coolest guys. But I mean, the in the Ben Askren book, he talks about Levester putting it on him, and it's like, who's this guy? You know. And sure enough, Mister Minnesota, just uh, one of the most incredible high school careers of that era, for sure. Yeah, yeah so- I remember. Uh, my senior year going into Fargo, I was ranked one. I already committed to Lehigh and we were all kind of warming up and we saw that, that goofy hair running around and I drew him first round, Ben Askren. Yeah. And I think it was up maybe five, five to zero or four to zero. And he locked up a cradle, rolled me through a couple of times, beat me eight, four. And, um, Hendricks ended up winning that way, but it was Hendricks, him, all of us in the same way. So, and it, what what was did anyone know about Askren other than like his his hair and all that? Or not, no, not at the time. We we were kind of like making fun of him. Like, uh, you know, I wasn't big on making fun of people, but yeah. that's was the like look at his hair. Look, he has a boombox, and he's kind of goofy. And he just when I rest, I I could take him down. I couldn't turn him. I could take him down. Couldn't turn him. And and but he landed 
backwards. Like if you if you would take a, a shot on a typical person, you think he's going to he's supposed to land on his far right hip. Askwood would land on his other hip and it mm-hmm. threw you out of whack. So he was the type of guy. Yet because I wrestled him a, a year later in I think the U.S. It was one of the, um, the U, not the U.S. Open, but one of the tournaments, and I I beat him. But I figured him out. You have to explode through him, take him down, and then kind of don't go for scrambles. Yeah. And More like so, a touch and go. So knowing that that was the old pool system, so in the so like if you would have had another tough dude next and happened to lose, you might have been out back then, right? In that old yeah. pool system at Fargo. Yeah, I think I took fit in that one. Coming in ranked, you know, one. Uh, I think it took. Wow. Yeah. That's. I mean, far. I mean, it's still loaded, of course. But now there's there's a couple of big tournaments and still one of them. But really, back then that was the main one. Yeah, that was the main one. Wow. Sure. And the one thing we're kind of jumping around, but that's okay. Your freshman year of high school, I noticed you just on the PIA website, PIAA website. Did you not place as a freshman? No. So what I happened? Won- so I've won the Whitfields, um, which is our, you know, the, the Whitfields is mm-hmm. our, our mm-hmm. regionals. And first round at States, I was at 130. Um, I was winning eight nothing, third period against a senior from Erie. And I shot in on a double leg. There was maybe 40 seconds left in the third. I was beating him up pretty good. Shot in on a double leg. He locked a front headlock and, and lifted me up. And when he lifted me up, he screamed, he bit me referee just technical i'm like there's there's no mark on his arm there's it was all in the papers he even admitted he didn't bite me but i got disqualified and then because of that you can't wrestle back right well yeah because of that you can't wrestle back which made it even harder whoa that had to be such a controversy at the time i mean that's yeah. that's bizarro wow yeah. i didn't i really didn't know the answer on, on what happened yeah so the referee got banned from uh the PIAA referee and, and for a while it was just all over the the local news. They were coming in school and asking me what happened. And, you know, it was a distraction for a little while. And then next year I went up three weight classes. So it, it just kind of went away. And were you projected to do well your freshman year, like top guy? Yeah, he, he, he got beat in the semifinals in double overtime and, uh, Mike you're Pirazzola, up eight oh on him. Eight oh. Mike Pirazzola took second. Uh Connolly went to Navy. I think he was the number one seed at the Nationals one year. Mark Connolly upset Mike Pirazzola and won the state title that year. I'm pretty wow. confident I would have been in the mix, though. I was having a really good year. Wow. And so it kind of begs the question: phenomenal high school career, phenomenal college career. When did you turn the corner and kind of quote unquote get good, so to speak? I'd say uh, probably seventh grade going into eighth grade. Um, I had bumped up a couple weight classes and, and obviously being the whip the great Jones, the hammer was, was the name that was just, no one could beat them. And I remember we were at a match at North Hills and North Hills was a big tournament and I was at a hundred pounds and uh, he was at a hundred pounds. And a couple of the parents had came up to my dad and, and said, you know, well, Troy really grew and, and is looking good, but he's not in a league to wrestle Greg Jones. So my dad came down and told me that. And before I stepped on the mat and said, hey, these guys don't think you're in the league to beat them. And uh, I said, oh, we'll see. So I ended up beating them there. 
Then we wrestled in the PJW States in the semifinals. I beat him again there and then lost in the finals and ride out to one of the Moore brothers. Oh, wow. So if you fast forward, that's PJW. Fast forward, you know, four or five years, all three of us are weighing in for the NCAA finals at different weight classes, but in the wow. same bracket. So Greg Jones had that kind of aura about him back then that there's just oh, no yeah. chance. He's a yeah. legend. Yeah. So I think I turned the corner after I beat him that match. Uh, I think people started to realize it. And, and I always wanted to be the best guy in the room, whether it was it, it, the high school room or wherever I was at. I wanted to be pound for pound the best guy in the room. So I really turned up training. I would run to school. I'd wrestle in the morning um, before school. My dad had built a wrestling facility in our basement. So uh, Craig Nellis, the Nellis family came, come from Shaler. There's actually a, a, a lot of great wrestlers. The Perrys, the, the Perrys that were coaches at Navy, they mm -hmm. were both three-timers. The dad, Hugh, and I think Rex Perry, both three-time NCAA champs. But um, the Nellis family is a big family that came out of Shaler. So Craig Nellis, every like I'd say three days a week, would drive to my house around five, wrestle myself. I'd go shower. Then my brother, he would stay and wrestle him and then off to work and did that from the time I was fifth or sixth grade all the way through high school. So you're talking 5 a.m. Yeah. yeah oh, wow. That's next wow. level. Wow. Yeah. My Dang. dad was serious about it. I mean, my both my parents were very serious about it. I, I remember we'd be in bed. My brother and I, my dad would come home from work or wherever he was doing and say, did you guys do your pull-ups? Yeah, wake us up. Did you do your pull-ups? And we'd say, no, he'd say, Let, get, get in the basement. And it wasn't a regular pull-up bar. It was like a steam pipe that was like eight inches round. And we'd have to do 50 pull-ups. So by the time I was in high school, I could do 50 pull-ups easy. Straight? Straight, 50 pull-ups. By the time I was in college, ask Coach, Stro ask Coach Santoro. They were strapping 45-pound plates to me. And I was doing sets of 10, you know, wow. multiple sets. Wow. So, and your dad owned a roofing company, right? Yeah. My, my grandpa started it. Uh, he had nine children, I believe, four boys, five girls. So uh, all the boys either boxed, wrestled. And uh, so he started the roofing company in like 1938. My dad and, and my three uncles worked there. My dad and my, my uncle Bob, uh, who had passed, they had bought out the other brothers and then bought out my grandfather. So um, now my cousin runs it and my brother Taylor runs roofing on the side. Um, but yeah, really blue collar, you know. Blue -collar. I bring it up because roofing, for anyone who knows, is one of the most vicious summer jobs there is, is to be on a roof. And I'm guessing that you got roped into a few job sites in your day. Yeah, we did. So the last one I was on, we were on an A-frame house, which is a very steep slope. And we were stripping... Um, well, it was stone. So we were stripping this stone off the roof and it's coming off and crumbles slate. It was slate actually. Mm -hmm. And I, I didn't feel comfortable. So I got off, got down and my dad had a hoist there, but he thought I had Troy and Taylor. You guys can carry up the shingles. I don't need to get the hoist. And that was for him a workout for us. But I got off the roof and, and my dad said, what are you doing? Get back up there. I said, I don't, I don't feel comfortable up there. He said, you have two options. You can either get up there and work or you can run home. I said, I'll run home. It was a couple miles. I ran home in work boots. <laughs> Your dad's a tough cat, man. That's a, I can imagine when you get to Lehigh and 
you know, you're on your own. Like you already have that discipline still because you're growing up around that kind of a blue collar atmosphere. Yeah. And yeah. It was. Is it true that when you were at Lehigh, you wouldn't let anyone give you a ride up this hill? Like it's like a mile hill. Yeah. So I, I thought, you know, Lehigh's built on a mountain. So all the classes, all the, the dining halls are up on the hill. So there's stairs that go on for days. And I, every time someone would say, oh, hey, let's jump up and go for a ride for class, I'd say no. And I would think to myself, is is Tyrone doing this? Is Johnny Hendricks doing this? But they're, they're going to take a ride and I'm going to walk up the stairs. So I'd walk up the stairs and, you know, th- thinking back to it, I you know, that that attitude is kind of what took me to to that level uh of competition early as a freshman yeah so. and i'd read the press release once you were the head coach at clear and you said attitude's a big part of it so i was dying to ask you like what you meant by that to have that kind of trip on your shoulder coming in as a freshman yeah attitude and, and wanting to be the best guy not not just here not just in this practice but you want to be the best guy we're going to go into uh another room or we're going to go uh into a a dual meet. You want to be the best guy on the map, pound for pound. The one everyone's saying, "Hey, watch out for that guy. Watch out for that guy." And that's kind of the attitude I was. That was instilled in me, and I took that attitude with me to Lehigh. Our our team, our freshman year, our redshirt year, redshirt sophomore year, that team was very competitive. I mean, if mm-hmm. you were sitting on the bike, you felt bad about it sitting on the bike. Wow. So, did you guys still have the room that there is now, where it's kind of a, in that? I can't even describe it really, but the current room at Lehigh, it's beautiful. And it's kind of like a loft. Is that what you guys had or was it something different? No. So we were over in Taylor, we were in the Taylor gym. Um, so the Crusoe complex wasn't built yet. So we were above the gym, um, second floor. It was a big room, but uh, um, no, it wasn't, as, it wasn't like that one. When you mentioned Mike Caruso, who's been on the podcast, absolute legend and just a, a business savage in his own right. They say that, you know, from from what I read that, you know, you win your title as a sophomore and people start mentioning Mike Caruso and you in the same breath. Was he a name that everyone just knew about back then at Lehigh? Yeah, everyone knew. And, and Mike was a big part of the program all the time, um, a part of alumni relations, just a, a part of Lehigh. So, you know, after the title, the first thing they say is, is, is he going to be the next Mike Caruso? Because Mike was the one that did one. He won three titles. So, yeah, it, it came early and quick. And strong with Lehigh alumni. I bet. Yeah, no, it's uh, that, like you said, the, the people that went there love it. And there's a lot of support for the program. And it had to be exciting you know, to be on that, that kind of a loaded team back then. And is it, is it true that you pulled out of a tournament to have your 100th win at, uh, at Lehigh? Yeah, yeah. So uh, Coach, that was on Coach Strobe who wanted me to do that. But uh, that's yeah, pretty he cool, to tournament. It was cool. So I ran out, wrestled a kid from Ryder, got the fall, and ran back into the locker room. And coach came back and said, hey, put your straps back up. I said, why? He said, just come on. And we, he and I both walked on the mat. Everyone was still standing. So it was it was wow. a pretty, pretty great experience. Wow. That's amazing. And you mentioned earlier that something about Hawaii. I want to go back to that. That you're, uh, How'd you guys end up at a tournament in Hawaii or a dual meet in Hawaii? Well, yeah, Coach that's that's Coach Strobel's doing. That's that's him being the politician. So we were supposed to do a a, a quad meet out there. It was going to be us, Oregon State, maybe Cal Poly and and Oregon or at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, but three of the teams had dropped out, and there was only one team that was still in it. I believe it was Oregon State, 
and Coach Strobel talked with athletic director, said, hey, we're still going. So it was probably December. We went out there, made weight. We were on the main island and made weight. They wanted to kind of introduce wrestling to the University of Hawaii at the time. But it was only one dual meet, um, made weight. We're out there for a week, wrestled. Uh, I got into a quick scramble with this kid, pinned him in, I don't know, 15 seconds, and then had five days in Hawaii. And it, the, at the mainland where we were staying, our hotel, it was raining. My parents were staying on Kauai, which is just 20 yeah. minute plane ride. So I talked to my parents. They said, hey, you've got your plane, come over here. So I got to fish and hang out with my parents uh, on Kauai for five days. That had to be pretty awesome. sweet. Yeah. Awesome. Kauai is beautiful. Yeah. Um, wow. So you, it's crazy how you went right into coaching too, because you were basically at Princeton after your career, an amazing career. You go to Princeton and then next thing you know, you're at Penn State. And next thing you know, Kale gets there. So everyone wants to know, <clears throat> you know, really your perspective and you're one of the few people who can speak to it you and Anspach what was the before and after like what what's the change that that Kale brought in uh well Kale well one he he brought when Kale came on board you know he changed some things up as far as positions um he he took Derwin out of the head uh head assistant position recruiting Derwin was awesome at recruiting but he moved him into the operation manager role which at the time would allow me to be on the map more. Um, so, cause I was operation manager when I came in under Troy Sutherland, but I technically wasn't allowed in the practice room mm -hmm. during practice. So he made some changes up like that. And then I remember uh, him bringing the staff down and we kind of wanted to go over, you know, how, I don't want to give all the secrets away, but yeah, this, yeah, is how, yeah. Yeah. this is how we want our team to, to think this is how we want them to train. These are the positions we're going to go over before we lift. We're on the mat drilling these positions before we run. We're on the mat drilling these positions, um, hand fighting positions, things like that. And then it was, uh, you know, bringing in the right type of guys. Um, you know, Bubba Jenkins, a friend of mine was, was obviously on that team and, just wasn't the right fit we tried to rope him in tried to rope him in and it just it didn't happen so Gail knew that if it took a year to get the the right people in there the right the right athletes in there then it's going to take him a year to do it so he made some sacrifices that first year for sure to yeah. get into the right guys and then all of a sudden you have guys like Frankie Molinero's in there but David Taylor comes in Eddie Ruth is in there um Quint Wright was in there. Um, so it's, you know, I remember after those, you know, couple, first couple of years when I was leaving to go to Clarion, Kale was like, hey, you know, him and I got into the sauna and we're kind of talking. He's like, you know, stay here. Uh, we're going to keep doing this. And this is right after we won the first national title in 2011. So we won the Big Tens. I think we took in 2010, his first year, I think we took seventh. And then the next year we won it won the Big Tens, won the Nationals, and he said, we're going to keep doing this, uh, stay here. And and I was young. I was 27 or 28 years old. And, you know, I just uh, I love State College. That's all I could say. Love State yeah. College. So it, it's, did you ever notice any, like, 
self-doubt or lack of confidence to Kale coming in and building that? Or was he someone who just carried him, that confidence with him at all times? He carried it with him at all times. And, and sometimes he, he let it, it not in front of anyone else except in like the team or just the coaching staff. Uh, if our guys went out and performed and lost, you know, that was okay. But if our guys went out and didn't perform and didn't wrestle their heart out. And I remember one particular match against Iowa, we got beat. Quentin Wright got majored by the guy he pins in the nationals and the semis and wins the national title. But he got majored that duel. And, and it wasn't the fact that we lost the duel. It was the fact that our, our wrestlers didn't go out with the kind of heart that Kale demands and the kind of attitude Kale demands of his wrestlers is, you know, leave it, leave it all on the mat and, and have fun. And, uh, you know, our first year when we won that, uh, well, second year when we won the title in 2011, our, our team saying on our rings that we have is yes, just that, yes, one word. And he said just every time we bring it in, he, he said just, yeah, we can do it. Yes, we're going to do it. And um, that's, that's the way Kale is. So if we didn't perform and we got beat, you could see a side of Kale that was that was what really bothered him. But if the guys wrestles their heart out and they, they do the best they can, you know, yeah. he's, a, he's a great coach and he's a great, great mentor. Oh, I, I can't even imagine. And when you look at <clears throat> all the things you associate with Kale, you said this in an interview like 15 years ago that Flo had that one. Of, and I don't really think about Kale like this, but one of the things you said was, um, that it's about fighting for seven minutes, which to me, you see that you think Tom Brands, you think Terry Brands, you don't think Kale Sanderson necessarily. Um, but of course he's wrestling all seven minutes, but the fighting aspect was big for him and the sense of just giving it your all for those seven minutes. Yeah. Seven minutes of wrestling, uh, whistle to whistle, line to line. And I can tell you firsthand, that's how Kale wrestled. I wrestled with him even when we were in the room and this is when he was starting to come back. He wrestled with Herbert those couple of times. And it's so crazy. I forgot you were there for that. I'm so glad you brought that up. <laughs> he, it was hard to even drill with Kale. I got so tired because he, he play wrestles the whole time. So as, as long as it, you shake hands and some people warm up and, and he goes right into kind of wrestling and to keep that kind of pace, even after your 15 minute warm up. It, it your your body's drained because you don't have a second that he's not at least thinking about the next move. So you wrestled the whole entire time, whistle to whistle, line to line. Wow. And or the you're way, getting, getting scored on. And the way he does it, like the way he's pu pushing and then moving the head, it's is an exhausting way to kind of react the whole time. Yeah, because you're constantly you're always your head's down, so your weight's on your toes. And as soon as you try to pull your head up, your weight's on your heels, and all of a sudden he's on your heel. And then it's now you're defending an ankle pick and just nonstop wrestling like that. And that was part of the, what I told you earlier, before warmups, before lifting, it was a, a little series that we went over with our whole team. Our whole team didn't have to, because we, we had the Altons on our team. Uh, we had some guys that were very explosive, like Frank Molinaro. So not everyone could wrestle that way, but they could hand fight that way. They could, they could wrestle throughout every position. So it was, uh, and when you say wrestle was, that way, like, what do you, what do you mean? Wrestle like kale, like wrestle mm. with, with ankle picks, but they can still hand fight the same way and get to their high crotch or hand fight that way and get to their double legs. 
Um, it was a matter of, you know, wearing down your opponent, getting him out of position as he's trying to recover into his wrestling stance, you're already on his legs. So as you're beating on his head or you're controlling ties, they're going to fight back to get into position where they can just get into the wrestling stance again. On that transition is when you're already on their legs or you're attacking for their legs. So that's why Penn State was able to just come out. They could score so many points right out the get because that's what they're doing. They're getting you out of your stance, and you think you're just getting back in your wrestling stance, and they're on your ankle. Mm-hmm. So. And it's interesting because that year, correct me if I'm wrong, it was not a shoe-in that you guys were going to win in 2011. Or was it no. a shoe-in? No, it, it wasn't. I mean, we were neck and neck with Iowa. Um, and I think there was uh, Ohio State maybe was up in that in that time. But, yeah, it wasn't a shoe-in for, at all. And even that but, tournament, like there was some, didn't Ed lose early on in that 2011 tournament? Like Eddie, it was, yeah. He lost to the guy from Stanford and Eddie. Uh, so what happened? Eddie had uh, a knee uh, that it wasn't bad, but it, it was locking up a little bit on him. So it would lock up every once in a while and, and then he would get it to unlock. So he was in the semifinals against like a uh, Steggy. That's it. Yeah. From So he was in the semis. Eddie was a freshman. Eddie was crushing everyone. Um, and he, Eddie lost the first scramble, got taken down, but, uh, the guy from Stanford ended up with a bent leg Turk and Eddie's other knee was locked up. Mm. So he turned him once belly down, turned him once belly down. Eddie's looking at us like, I can't do anything. I can't do anything. We brought him to the corner. The doctors and, uh, Dan monthly, the trainer kept trying to get his leg out of, it was locked. So it was locked bent. They were trying to get it to break. And it wouldn't. So they threw right. the towel. They threw the towel and took him back into the back. And the doctors and, and monthly went to work on him. So they actually pushed it further into lock and then were able to pull it out. And then Eddie taped it up and he wrecked his way to third place. The next year wrestles the same guy in the finals and I think beats him eight nothing. And if he doesn't come back, you guys don't win the team title, most likely. Exactly. And That's... then Quentin Wright at the same time, too. He got majored by the guy from Iowa 14 to 2. And then comes in and pins them in the semifinals and wins the title. Now, is this the year Magic fans wrestle on Jenkins in the finals? Um, or is that the next year when all those guys came back or came out of red shirt? No, that would have been that year, I believe. That's I mean, a crazy story, too, right? Because Jenkins is on the team and then uh... it transfers out. David's a red shirt. And there was a lot of, you know, everyone. And David's the magic man. So everyone on the team knew that, hey, everyone's after the magic man. And there was a lot of attention given to that because, you know, it was when he, Kale and, and Cody and Casey had left Iowa State and came to Penn State, David was now kind of like a free agent. So mm-hmm. now he's taking another visit to Oklahoma State. And it, it wasn't a lock that he was coming to Penn State anymore. So we had to give you know, a lot of attention to that. And uh, I think, you know, some of the guys in the room might get mad at me for saying this, but there was a little jealousy there. Cause I remember when David came to the room and, you know, it was one of our first practices during summer camps or something, Frank Molinero just put it on him. I mean, crushed him. <laughs> and David was a skinny little freshman uh, right out of high school, true freshman. And Frankie, was I think at the time returning all American and just a beast, what a the killer. gorilla, the gorilla Hulk, <laughs> and uh, he just hammered him. I mean, hammered him. But the thing with David is, David 
would come right back the next day and, and say, hey, let, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. And within six months, you know, he was a different wrestler. The hype around David Taylor as a college freshman was so exciting. I mean, it was insane to just to watch it from afar. Yeah, well, from, from practice to seeing him compete, you know, that's where the magic was, in my opinion. Practice, David really focused on improving, getting better positions, and, you know, he, he beat up on guys in the room, but not as bad as you would expect. And then, because, like, Kyler Sanderson was on the team my, that year. He beat him in the wrestle-off. Yeah, he beat him in the wrestle-off, then beat him at the Penn State Nitty uh, Lion Open, Open in the finals in overtime. Imagine the, the pressure room, on Siler that or Kyler that year. That's yeah. crazy. Go ahead, in the room? But in the room, Kyler at the time could just blow through David and, and, and beat him up. But when David steps on the mat with a referee and a singlet and a whistle to whistle, he turns into a freak of nature. I've never seen it. Wow. that's And think about on that team, you also have some of the guys you've mentioned, the Altons, Ed Ruth. And it's like to be around that must have been insane. Yeah, it, it was it was really exciting. And and Kale kept true to his word. We're going to keep doing is what he kept saying. And Bro, have <laughs> they ever unbelievable? Yeah, it is. Uh, it is exciting to have have those guys in wrestling. And I, I mentioned this all the time, but I love that the movement Kale brings to wrestling is one of a little bit of lightheartedness, you know, not taking it so serious, not being so just you know, intense all the time. I know they are intense, but you saw the post, the, the nationals interview. It's a game, right? He, and he, he said that like back in 2010, I found an interview. He was talking about the same thing. It's like, that is good for wrestling to not be so uptight all the time with it. Oh yeah. We, we had a lot of fun outside the room. I mean, uh, and it was training exercises too. So, you know, they would get together with other, uh, other sports, other teams, and do you know different kind of relay races and and then really? we kept the, the the guys close to us so we kept all the guys really kind of close knit to us um you know whether it's you know we play playstation together or you know doing those sort of those types of things but the most important part was if you're having fun there's there's no one stopping you so i love it man Troy Letters, I should have booked more time because I'm three minutes late to a call, brother. I mean, you could talk wrestling for about four hours. So I'm going to have to get you back on because we, I was, I'm just so many things we didn't even get to talk about, man. And it's been an absolute honor to have you on the show. I just want to say thank you for making time for us. Thanks a lot. I really appreciate it. Yes, sir. Have a good one. You too. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. If you enjoy this show, we want to hear from you. So leave us a review on Apple Podcast and subscribe to the show. If you want to watch video clips from this interview, go to our YouTube page, Wrestling Changed My Life. And to support the podcast, please buy our merch at store.wrestlingchangedmylife.com. We'll see you next time on Wrestling Changed My Life. Peace!